Hello and welcome to the You Matter to Christ podcast. Many of our listeners and guests call this podcast an experience because throughout the variety of extraordinary people we have on the show, you'll hear stories of overcoming trauma, hitting record-breaking business goals, people forgiving the unforgivable, and yes, even miracles that will shock and inspire you. On this show, you'll hear from professional athletes, entrepreneurs, and everyday people from all walks of life. Discover the profound truth that regardless of your background or circumstances, you matter deeply to the creator of the universe. You were made for a purpose, and you matter to Christ. Get ready for inspiring stories, personal testimonies, and uplifting messages that remind us of the unchanging love and grace available to all. And remember this, you matter to Christ. Hey everybody, Chad Burmeister, and I am your host of the Living a Better Story podcast. And I'm here today with somebody who you will find so much wisdom in. Um, This gentleman has had a longer career, almost probably than I've been alive, maybe not quite, (laughs) but literally 37 years, 11 months at On Purpose Partners. And he just told me the story of how in 1988 and then 1990, he had his first big talk on this at the Gallery of Homes in, in Florida, just outside of Winter Park or in Winter Park, I think. So Kevin, fabulous to have you on the on the podcast today. Thank you for being here. It's great to have you. Thank you. And if you really like it, you can write me at Kevin McCarthy at onpurpose.com. If you don't like it, write Congressman Kevin McCarthy in Washington, D.C. <laughs> <laughs> at the Rayborn building. How's that? Oh, that's I'm not good. the same person. How's that? Everybody always gets to be confused with Kevin McCarthy, who's the House Minority Leader. Oh, that's really funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you, it looks like you've done some work with Vistage, uh, also the National Speakers Association. So what a, what a cool career you've had, and we're going to dig into that. Before we do, I really like to rewind the tape for our listeners, because I think a lot of who we are as a human being and as God's child, really, when you're younger, you're unfiltered, right? The world hasn't made an impact on you yet. And so when you wake up every day, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed to do something, that's really kind of gives you direction of what your real purpose in life is. So I like to ask that question when you're very young, six, seven, eight years old, can you remember kind of what were some of your first memories of what you were passionate about then? Well, um, interestingly, I, I remember I like to play a lot. So my mother was a school teacher and she would take me to school with her. She taught uh, girls phys ed in uh, middle school and so she would bring me to school with her from time to time. And, and I would go over to the boys side and I would play, I would do gym all day long from sixth grades, you know, as a, a pre-kindergarten and all of that. I also, so I liked playing army in the woods with my brother and friends. I have an older brother, Bob, who's two years older. And, you know, we would just run around back then, I guess, you know, kids ran pretty loose and pretty, pretty free where today it's not quite as, um, I guess, safe to do that, or it's perceived to be less safe, but we ran just, you know, in the mornings during the summers, we'd get out 
and we'd come back whenever we showed up you know it was just a different world back then so uh, just but play, yeah, get out play hang out sports a little bit what kind of sports were you into uh, we played wiffle ball in the backyard. We threw footballs. We shot basketballs. We we did. We ran. We uh, eventually I became a tennis player. About when I was later in life, I became a tennis player and actually taught the game professionally for a number of years. Um, but at that point, I didn't know what a tennis racket probably was. I just you know if it if it was a bat and a ball or uh, anything around that we could roll or throw, we would we were doing it. Hmm. I remember in North Carolina, we had woods in the back and my son, who was early 10, 12 years old, we, they would run out for miles and be gone for hours. And, yeah. uh, and that wasn't too long ago, six or eight years ago. So oh, I still think cool. there are places in the country that have those areas where, you know, go on, we'll see you at dusk. Yeah. <laughs> you <know? laughs> uh, yeah. So, well, and if you think about whether it's playing army in the woods or tennis or those sporting events, what's the common thread? If you think about then to now, sometimes people talk about team sports being with other people. Sometimes it's individual. What was it about those times that you find that you, you know, that it's still a passion for you and what you're doing today? Yeah. Interesting. Interesting question, because I actually think a lot of it has to do with imagination, creativity, and thinking. And even though I'm rather traditionally and classically educated in the sense of I have an undergraduate degree, you know, went through high school, undergraduate degree in business and finance, um, business and economics with a major in finance, and then I went on and got an MBA, I still like to think that it's my creativity and my ability to see things differently than what, you know, the, the expression is kind of out of the box. Um, but I, I never really saw much of a box. I just always was very true to myself in that regard. And I think that that sort of independent streak has stayed with me. Um, and it probably just comes back to the ability to, to get into my mind and play uh, and to work uh, in that regard. I'm, you know, when it comes to extroversion, introversion, I'm kind of right in the middle. I love being with people, and yet I'm very happy to sit in my office where I am right now and just uh, work away on writing a book or thinking about something or creating a strategic plan for a client or thinking through the various other sorts of things that may be going on. Uh, so I'm comfortable in, in kind of both worlds, the introvert, extrovert. And I, I think that kind of goes back to that little kid, Kevin. Yeah, that's cool. I saw on your website uh, on purpose, that is, is it a strengths finder or what, what does, if someone were to go do the three to five minute exercise there, what would they expect to get out of that? Oh, well, onpurpose.me is a tool. It's an online tool where if somebody's wondering about their purpose in life, they're going to walk away with a two word purpose statement. And so it's really, if you think about strength finders as sort of describing the qualities of who you are, some of the strengths that you have, Purpose is really helping you understand why you exist. Uh, from a Christian worldview, it's your identity in Christ. Or another way to think about it is God's will for your life. But these are broad Christian concepts where when you actually have a two-word purpose statement, it, it gives you a very specific understanding of how are you uniquely uh, called and designed to give expression to your purpose so that you're, uh, or how to know your unique identity in Christ or your unique expression of God's will. Um, it's pretty similar 
calling is something that's you know in the workplace we think about that as sort of a mission what you're going to go do and your calling is related to that but even even your calling is informed by your purpose wow i i in preparation for this call i had planned to fill it out and then i said you know i i have i not gonna be able to do it in time so that will be on my short list of things to do before the day is through that's awesome that is yeah, so it's, huge yeah it's it's powerful because the two words are you can almost think of it as like a personal brand um but the, not a brand in the sense of we think of as a trade name or a brand like that but it's almost like it's god's branding on you think of it as spiritual dna it, it is who you are it's it just it came with birth in that sense, much like your physical DNA came, you have this spiritual DNA that also exists. And once you understand that, much like we're beginning to unravel the human genome and understanding DNA and all the things, that it opens up enormous opportunities that have always been there. But but it's suddenly opened up this this large body of work of exploration and understanding in much the same way when somebody begins to understand their two word purpose, it opens up a whole body of understanding and information about their lives and how they can begin to put that to use in a more powerful way uh, that before they that was always there, but they didn't know how to tap it now now they can tap into their purpose. That's so neat. We were at an executive retreat in Winter Park, Colorado, yep. and there was a picture of a fingerprint in the living room. And it was all Bible verses that made up the fingerprint. Oh, that's cool. And, and I literally was at this event for two or three days. And I just broke down in tears in the back row going, man, I get it. Everybody has a purpose in life. And, and so I went and bought one and framed it. And now it's in my house, the same one. Um, whether it's a snowflake, right? Every snowflake right. is unique. Your fingerprint's unique. And figuring out what that is. So now that that illumination was turned on two years ago, I went to my dad's house recently, my parents' house, and my dad gives me this old hockey stick from when I was a kid. And it just comes rushing back. It's like, wait a minute, that was the exact stick I held. I was so good at competitiveness that I'd score 10, 12 goals. The other team gets two because defense and offense, mm -hmm. but that wasn't enough. The being competitive and winning was my lane. However, showing other people how to also be competitive was very important to me. So I remember that we had a girl on our team and not a lot of teams had a mixed mm. boys and girls at that, at that age. And ours was mixed team. And so right. I picked her and I said, Hey, you crash the goal. I'm going to drive it straight down. I'm going to dump it off to you. And I want you to score. So we started doing that one, two punch. Well, then we flipped the script and said, okay, now I want you to drive down and I'm going to crash the goal. Cause I didn't want her to think like, Oh, I'm giving you the easy job. Right. That was just to show you how to run the play. And it was just so fun to be able to first learn it yourself and then show other people how to, how to use that competitiveness. So it'd be very curious if my purpose comes out with competitive in the term somewhere or not. <laughs> well, it, it probably won't, but that's probably a character quality or a value that you're expressing that's there. Although what I really hear you saying is at some level you appreciate or enjoy being a guide. Yes. You know, you're in that sense, you were guiding or mentoring um, in that regard and much like what you're doing with, um, you know, with, with what you're doing with uh, living uh, a better story 
is is guiding people. Yes, totally. Okay, yeah. the next question I like to ask Kevin is around this the speed bumps in life that at the mm -hmm. time may look like the biggest mountain you've ever had to cross. Um, you seem to have discovered religion, Christianity at a at a younger age. Um, but I assume that no, you didn't. Okay, no. that was the incorrect assumption. There you go. So what what challenge did you face in life that you're comfortable sharing? And and what did you what how'd you get through that? Yeah, interestingly, um, I, I came to Christ um, in my early 30s. Now I had grown up in a home where our where Christianity, my father was Catholic, my mother was not Catholic. She was back when my parents got married in 1950, a, a Catholic who married outside of the faith was excommunicated. So my father was not allowed to take communion. He was, a, he was a devout Catholic, but he didn't go to, to, and my mother said, if a church won't accept me um, or will reject you because you're marrying somebody you love, then I don't want to be a part of that church. My mother's a strong-willed woman. She's 94, still alive and, you know, doing still strong, independent, strong type. And um, uh, so we didn't really get raised in the church, but we weren't opposed to the church, if that makes sense. It was just mm -hmm. kind of there. And um, so it wasn't until I ended up getting married that my wife, I sat down with my wife. I was a strategy guy, goal setting and all of those sorts of things. And I said, her, what would you like for our marriage? And she said, do you really want to know? And I said, yeah, what would be your most important thing? See, I'd like to have a Christian marriage. And I said, I don't know what that is. Uh, I don't know. And she said, I don't know really what it is either. So we, I, we started attending a church, All Saints Episcopal Church in Winter Park, Florida. We were recently married. And um, uh, because I'd been a student of self-help and literature, I'd been searching uh, everything but the church. When I sat in the back of All Saints Episcopal Church, I listened to uh, Art Dasher, who was the interim rector at the time, preach. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is the this is the core literature. Everything else I've been reading of the self-help literature is a derivative of this Bible. So for me, the Bible was an intellectual understanding. And then six years about that was in 84. And then in um, February 14th, 1986 is when Jesus went from my head to my heart. And so. I give that as a background by, by saying on February 14th, 1986 is when Jesus went from my head to my heart. But by 1987, I was deep into a business relationship. I was the president of a, a real estate development company called United States Properties, which was another guy when I were partners, he was 15 years older. And we ended up in the midst of a business divorce. I really, for all intents and purposes, was bankrupt uh, financially, but my faith was just so alive. So in, spiritually, I was not bankrupt. Spiritually, I was living in abundance. Financially, I was on, behind the eight ball like you couldn't believe. And it was during that time where I recognized that it was truly my faith and in fact, it was one of those times where I, and I always get this scripture turn, sort of turned around, but it's, you know, um, where your heart is, your treasure will be, or where your treasure is, your heart will be, whichever. I always get it mixed up because it seems, but basically I realized that my treasure had been in money and, and now my treasure was in Christ. And that gave me a, that just washed a piece over me that was remarkable 
because the challenges that, that I was going through and uh, didn't declare bankruptcy, but um, I did um, eliminate these some of the th challenges of that relationship. But most of all, the, 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 the power of that was just taken off of me. I gave it up and Christ stepped in and fulfilled that in a, in a beautiful way. So mm -hmm. that's, that's really that story. It was all for good. It was, uh, I think of it as sort of, you know, they talk about tempering steel, making it stronger. I think that was a tempering that I needed at a very youthful stage of my development spiritually uh, as a Christian. That's amazing, right? It's, it's amazing how many conversations I have like these where that toughest thing that they've ever had to go through becomes the galvanizing moment, right? I, earlier today, I talked to this amazing woman, Michelle, whose mother somehow got the family into a cult when she was at a very young age. Wow. And for six years from age eight to 13 or so, maybe 15, 14. And yet she still held her Christian faith and the pastor was somehow involved. And so talk about a hard mountain to face and yet she, she made it through and, you know, she found some ways and got out of, they ended up getting out of the cult and now she's doing everything she does in memory of her mother because her mom had some tough things as a kid. And now she's created this ministry to help other women tell their story. And she's on number 56 of people that have been on the podcast telling their story. Wow. So it's a really neat <clears throat> but that's neat how the galvanizing story that you think while you, so for listeners, if you're going through something that feels the toughest thing you could imagine, now imagine your mom is in a cult and you're part of it. Now imagine you've business just went upside down and you're near bankruptcy. Ima you know, imagine if all these other situations, the, the silver lining and the moral of the story is, the same thing that I hear over and over and over again, and that's faith and in Jesus. Yeah, it's really interesting because I mean, one of the things that I found with the on purpose message that I have is that most of the people that are looking for purpose are usually in the midst of a transition of some sort. And so I about a year in it, well, actually, many, many years ago, probably about 15, 16 years ago, I bought the domain name Tough Shift. You have to say it slowly. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I um, about a year and a half or so ago, I actually developed out a program called Tough Shift. I'm writing a book on it. A, a little a, a booklet is probably a better way to describe it right now. Uh, but the idea, the premise of that is is that whenever you're in the midst of a tough shift, um, that whenever you can articulate it as, oh, this is a tough shift, it takes away a lot of the power of personalizing it and you're able to sort of take it put it over there and understand that in the cycle of my life this is a season i'm in and that i will get through this and of course with the whole tough shift there's a process and a means to get through that and purpose is at the core of that if you don't know your purpose in life or if you think life is meaningless or you think that life is over for me which is these are just false i think words that sort of come into our brains and into our spirit, uh, they're lies. Um, and, and it's the ability to look at it and say, I am going to get through this tough shift. And that, you know, life is the day you're born is your first tough shift. 
And the last tough shift is the day you die. Uh, but again, think about it even from a Christian worldview. Uh, death is the ultimate healing. So there is a good side to death that we often fail to realize that, that death is the passageway into heaven. Mm. So, yeah. um, wow. you know, you can have, you can have, be, I've always said, I'm not afraid of death. I am afraid of dying. So it's, <laughs> it's the process of getting to death that scares the living, you know, what out of me at times, but because I don't want to have cancer, I don't want to have, you know, all these sorts of things that we imagine or just being dementia, you know, the, the process of dying is one that is sort of frightening for me. Uh, but again, my faith sustains me in the midst of that. And I look at it and say, okay, if that's the way God has me go out, that's the way I go out. Well, it's interesting because if I think of my personal shift, 17 Zoom meetings on Friday, and of that, probably 30% were business related. And 70% were podcast recordings and other things that I'm really following God's lead on. And the shift of leaving the other life behind is like what I, what I'm talking to myself is that's not really true. I'm not leaving a life behind. I'm using the skills that I've mm -hmm. created over the last four that were given to me and learned over 40 years of experience and, and putting them in one degree in a different lane for the glory of God. And it's like going through that tough shift, even though that sounds like it's, well, that's not a big deal. Well, yeah, it is. Cause it actually can have an impact on your earnings potential. And Absolutely. that's what Michelle talked about, right? Two years she's been following it. She goes, I haven't pulled an income in two years, but I know it's the right thing that I'm doing right now. So being yeah. that level of on purpose and knowing your purpose, it'll, the bigger the why, the bigger the try is the term that I've heard before for that. Yeah. And so that's why purpose is such an important part, because it's giving you that sense of why. Mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's actually in, what most people think of as the why is what they want to do. But actually, purpose is the the I am, and it's that sense of being which gives which gives power to it's 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 the powering process. It's the energy behind the the crusade or the mission that one but one might find themselves on. Wow! So we're going to Phoenix uh, very soon, and in a couple of days, in fact, and there's going to be two of the at risk teens who just graduated from high school that did that against all odds. And so they're presenting mm -hmm. their 30 minutes of, hey, this is what I did. Cool. And if, if you were going to, if you had 30 minutes with two kids who just graduated from a school that are at-risk teens in Arizona, what well, would you have them do the onpurpose.me or, or what would you do if you had 30 minutes yeah. with kids like that? Actually, uh, I, the, the nice part about the onpurpose.me is that would be the first three minutes, okay? Then I might spend uh, 10 minutes with them refining it. But I actually have a tool that's really a fun tool. You're, what you're describing reminds me of years ago, I did a speaking engagement for uh, an inner city ministry here in Orlando called Frontline Outreach. And, and I had um, 30 inner city kids at eight o'clock in the morning, on a Saturday morning, you can imagine they were thrilled to be there. But I have a tool called the Discovery Guide. It's discoveryguide.net. And really what it comes down to is it's a, it's a process that comes out of my first book, The On Purpose Person, where you, it's, it's called a want list and a tournament. And so what I would do is have them write down 
32 things that they want for their life. And then if you think of a tennis tournament is in brackets. So there's, they would then put these things into 32. Uh, and, and again, this mm. discoveryguide.net, it has the forms for all this as well as the instructions. But if you write down 32 things you want, and it could be more, I mean, if there's 64 or 80, you know, sure. 80 however, many, bigger brackets. Yeah. just bigger brackets, or what I do is I have people break them into categories. Mm. So it would be kind of a health bracket, a career bracket, a finance bracket, a family bracket, you can have there's seven different brackets that you can do and there's, you can do more. But um, you would just say, what do you want for your life? And you have them go through this and write it out, put it into a tennis tournament, and then you have them select which is most important. And you can do that exercise fairly fast. And um, what it does is it comes out to what their top want is. And then you could run the tournament in reverse and say, well, if this is your top want, then what are the two things you can do to make that happen? So what you're doing is you're going from a very, very broad concepts to a very narrow specific, this is specifically of that, it, it's this is what's most important. Therefore, you can then take that and build that out. So this idea of going from very broad to very narrow, from narrow to deep, it's, it's the old concept of instead of being a mile wide and an inch deep, this is the way that you get to below that to where you're an inch deep, you're, you're a mile deep and an inch wide, but within that inch wide, you also are able to continually then broaden it out. And so that's the way that one develops a niche or an understanding of life. And life is frankly, you know, for somebody that young, they're gonna go through a lot of those cycles, but if they understand the process, um, because the first time they do it, they're going to come through it very thick is the way I describe it. They're not going to get to that very narrow point. Now, the purpose statement will actually put an edge on it for them. Sure. And, sure. and then they, they take it out. Wow. That's really cool. I, I somehow discovered, not through somebody showing me, but if I was looking at career choices, I'd put five in the columns and then I'd put in the mm -hmm. rows, the 10 or 12 different areas that mattered. And then I'd put a score in each one and it would spit out at the bottom. Hey, this is where you're meant to be next. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and those things change to your point. Like, do I want to learn in this job? Do I want a good manager quality of life? All these different decision points. But Correct. I really love the bracketing. Um, I mean, that could be done on a whiteboard quite easily, or here's your oh, piece yeah. of white paper. Let's go do this for the next 10 minutes. Yeah. Or you can use post-it notes, just, you know, put it up on post-it notes on a window. Here's boom, 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 throw them all up there. Then just, you know, get the ideas, put them right out on post-it note, post-it note, post-it note, post-it note, then take those things and just put them randomly up on a window, you know, a bit like a big window. And then just say, which one's more important and why? Now, see, this is where you as the mentor can really be helpful. This, let them make their choices and then just keep, don't judge them, but just why is that more important? And as they're expressing it, if you make note, what you're going to see is they're actually going to be revealing their values. Yeah. Because as they choose what's most important, it's what they value. And, and suddenly what, you're, what will come out of it is not only an a more immediate plan for something that they can focus in on, because most of us struggle with focus, me included, it's what they can focus on and what they value around that in terms of what they're not willing to compromise about themselves. So you'll see that values that'll come out are going to be things like truth or family, or it's it just all these different things are going to come out. 
and it, and you'll also see some negative things that come out like they um that that they may have they're they whenever they choose something over something else and you ask them why didn't that one advance you might there's some things that they're going to learn about themselves that yeah, maybe that could be coaching opportunities there are coaching opportunities exactly the way to look at it in other words it's like um, whenever I did this with these these young men, um, you know, one of the things they it was all boys because they were that's that's what the group was, and um, they you know they put a fine woman. I just remember them saying a fine woman, you know, <laughs> and, and and then it's you know what was interesting is as they chose all of a sudden a fine woman didn't matter as much, and interestingly enough, these kids chose. Uh, a relationship with Christ. I was stunned. A room full of inner city youth wow. who basically processed, I mean, I want to be in the NBA. I want to have a big car. I want a fancy house. I want a fine woman. I want this. I want that. And when they boil all of that down, it came down to a relationship with Christ. And, and if you think about the scripture, it says, you know, it, basically it's saying, and all these things will be added unto you. Wow, that's right. Well, there's no chance that we're here today because when God gets involved in these games, he causes this to happen. As I look at onpurpose.me and I see the background, of course, the image here on my green screen is almost precisely the background, uh, probably from a slightly different angle. That's but interesting. Yeah. What a fabulous conversation. Um, we're, we're getting tight on the time here. So I, I want to ask you one more question to, some, to kind of wrap it all up. And you, we've already touched on this, but it kind of brings everything together. And that is what role does faith play in your journey? Uh, you know, thinking what we just talked about, how, how does faith play a role? Yeah, what I want to do is say at one point in my life, faith played no role. Okay. And today, I can't imagine my life without it. Now, I, I often introduce myself at speaking engagements by saying, my name is Kevin McCarthy. I was born on Christmas Day. I was educated. I was, I was uh, uh, slept under the star of Bethlehem where I was also educated. And all of that is true. I was born on Christmas Day. I did go to Lehigh University in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And uh, they they have a star up on South Mountain, and uh, so and I my fraternity was located right underneath the star of Bethlehem in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. All of that is true, but none of it meant much to me. But I also believe because I was born on Christmas Day that it was a way of God's reminding me, "You're number two. No matter what, you're never going to get to celebrate your birthday, really, because it's always my day." And I didn't take offense to that. I considered it a great honor to have been born on Christmas Day. Uh, and it's, I think it, 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 it was always there for me. So today I can look at it and say, I cannot imagine what it is like to live without faith, without a relationship with Christ, without the concept of forgiveness. How do you go through life without the Christian concept of forgiveness and reconciliation and repentance? And, and all that's involved in that, it is, it is the greatest gift um, and, and that we have, um, that we have these redeemed lives, that we live lives of hope and meaning, as opposed to lives of hopelessness and meaninglessness. So my crusade is to eradicate meaninglessness from this planet by helping people know their purpose in life so that they know their meaning and they can 
I like to say, instead of searching and spending their lives searching for purpose, they can invest their lives giving their purpose expression. Mm. And that's really giving the expression of who God made them to be on this planet. Man, it's such an honor to talk with you today. My grandfather gave me this 10 scribes, if you will, in handwritten text back in eighth grade when, when they gave me this cross for my confirmation. Wow. And it said, number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Number two, love your neighbor as yourself. And then there's eight others. And I always say, if you forget the other 10, remember the first two, right? Those are the most important. Um, but what number two doesn't say is love your neighbor as yourself as long as they're vaccinated or love your neighbor <laughs> as yourself as long as they uh, take the trash in on Tuesday mornings. Love your neighbor. It, there's no caveats. There is no caveat. And I think that's where I th a lot of today's society is going wrong and South is, well, I love you if, and when, when we all realize we're all part of the same family, whether we're tall, short, wide, whatever color we are, it doesn't matter. You're my brother, you're my sister. And therefore I'd love you no matter what, whether you did something wrong yesterday, it doesn't matter. That's, that's where we need to strive to get in life. And, uh, yeah, and when, when we realize that our identity can only be from one source, and that is our identity in Christ, Otherwise, all the other stuff, the identity politics and things that are around there that, that want to put you into a color or a Republican or Democrat or Libertarian or Green or whatever it may be, all of that is identity. Uh, I'm sorry, identifiers, but not identity. Mm. Identity in Christ is where it's at. Everything else, if your identity is in anything else, it's idolatry. Mm. Wow. And idolatry wow. is thou shall have no other gods before me, number one commandment. <laughs> okay. And so that's where we get in trouble is we are in the violation of commandment number one, because we have other gods before him. Mm. Wow. Super, super, super deep uh, concept we've been talking about today. Kevin McCarthy, not the uh, minority speaker of the house or whatever <laughs> government he's in. This is the other Kevin McCarthy. Um, I would say super check out the website on purpose.me is the app and on purpose.com is the, mm -hmm. is the website. So Thank you. I have a feeling we'll be, uh, we'll be talking again sometime soon, Kevin. Chad, it's just great to be with you and, and keep up the good work you're doing with living a better story because we all need to be live, living a better story and you're, you're guiding the way. Outstanding. Well, thank you everybody for joining and we'll catch you on the next Living a Better Story podcast. Thank you for joining us on the You Matter to Christ podcast. We hope this journey has reminded you of the incredible truth that your life holds immense value and significance to Christ. As you go about your day, may you carry the assurance that no matter what you face, you are deeply cherished and loved. Remember, you matter to Christ. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and share it with others who may benefit from this message. Stay tuned for more transformative episodes where we continue to explore the depth of God's love and grace. Until next time, remember that you are not alone. Christ's love is with you.
guiding and strengthening you every step of the way. May your life be filled with hope, purpose, and the knowledge that you matter to Christ.